Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gabby. And we are two first-year physical therapy students sharing our grad school experiences to help PT students around the world. Embark on this journey with us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Looking for a gift for a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really anyone? Physiomemes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code gratitude, spelled G-R-A-D-I-T-U-D-E-2020. And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh. As always, make life humorous. In this episode, we chat with Gabby Whistler, who is a current physical therapist and founder of Health Cares. And we chat with her a lot about mind health and her experience with anxiety, OCD, that kind of stuff, and how she has gone through that and how you as a future physical therapist can help your patients as well. Yes. Gabby is such an amazing person and she had so much good insight and stories because we we have all had anxiety in one time of our life or another and so this is great that she was able to open up about her story and able to give tips and advice so we hope you enjoy this episode with Gabby people what you've been up to and kind of what you do and what what you love right now yeah so i again i'm Gabby and i i'm a physical therapist i just graduated um about a year ago actually in may of 2018 and I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I immediately jumped into travel PT because I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. Uh, Moved to California from Ohio where I went to PT school and was up in like the Napa area. I was there doing home health for about eight months uh, before I kind of tired out of that. And we actually, I was with Gabby and Sarah down in Clearwater, Florida, (laughs) right? And uh, for SSPT Live, it's an event and a conference that we were at. And when we were down in Florida, I just decided I loved it and literally went back and quit my job that week and made the move to Florida. So I just got settled in down here. I love that. That's so cool. (laughs) It's awesome. It's been a crazy adventure, but um, spontaneous, I guess, is like the best word to describe it. Definitely. And it's, it's crazy because you, it was not just you either. So For people listening, where can they uh, hear more about your story? Yeah, so I share a lot of my stuff um, on my Instagram, and it's at MindHealthDPT. So I'm currently in the process of figuring out how to treat uh, women with anxiety um, as a physical therapist. So it's kind of a new niche, I suppose, um, that I'm wormholing myself into, and I absolutely love it. So that's where the name came from, but it's at MindHealthDPT. And you now have a new podcast, too, with a PT. You want to tell people a little bit about how that started and how you guys got connected and what you're up to? Yeah. Are you referring to the one that I'm doing on my own or with Andrew? The one with Andrew and the one you're doing on your own, both. (laughs) I wasn't sure. Uh, So when I made the move to Florida, I actually was convinced to do so because of my now roommate, uh, Andrew Tran, owner of Physio Memes. And he actually sent me a text while we were at the conference because he knew I was burnt out in California. And 
he's like, hey, do you want to move down to Florida? And I was like, sure. And that was kind of the start of everything. So we moved down to Florida. He used to be a physical, well, still is a physical therapist. Um, but he essentially makes memes and merchandise and apparel for physical therapists to bring positivity back into the profession. Um, a lot of times we get overwhelmed with like this negative stigma of being in healthcare. Um, so his biggest passion in life is trying to change that. So he is a business owner. I am also a new business owner. And when we got to Florida, we were like, why not share this experience of one, not only living together because it's a freaking blast, um, but to share our experience as business owners in the healthcare profession with other PTs and other um, clinicians out there because it's not, it's really not a common thing, um, but it's kind of like the trend where this profession is moving towards. So yeah, that is that podcast. And that's called PTpreneurs. I believe it's on Spotify. Um, it's definitely on Anchor. And then I have a podcast as well. And it's uh, Mind Health, a podcast. And it is also on um, Spotify and Anchor. And again, that's just me sharing my own journey with anxiety, OCD, depression, um, and also sharing, you know, tips and tricks along the way, um, talking with psychologists, nutritionists, uh, other PTs who are working with anxiety, things of that nature. So it's a lot of fun. I enjoy both of them actually. Yeah, that is so awesome. And I know when we first met, I was just, <clears throat> I was just so excited that you were diving into this because helping women with stress and anxiety, I mean, it's, it's a niche that you don't hear much about in PT. And that's why we love that, that you are, um, that you are into it. So what, um, like walk us through the process of, um, you know, your journey, like with anxiety and, um, depression, OCD, if you don't mind sharing and we would love to hear that. Yeah. So I could talk about this for hours and hours. So I'll try to kind of summarize everything. Um, but just kind of, to backtrack to a little bit because you made a good point we don't hear about this niche a whole lot um so to be very honest it's actually it still is really scary for me but moving into this niche it's kind of like this unknown it's this dark place where no one has really gone there yet so um it's both scary and really exciting to be one of the first to dive into this and i'm hoping to open it up to other clinicians in the future so that they see this as a population in dire need and we're fully able to help them. We just have to figure out how. Um, so that was kind of like a side note, but it's something important to me. But um, yeah, so anxiety, depression, OCD. I first noticed probably, gosh, I was really young when I first started noticing symptoms. And I always share this story and it makes me laugh. But like the first thing I caught myself doing was sitting on my living room couch. Like <laughs> it makes me laugh, but I was squeezing my butt cheeks, like the right one and then the left one and then the right one. And I, then I was counting how many times I was doing it. And I was going up to like a hundred. And if I like got out of order or something, it would, I would start to kind of freak out. And I was like, why am I doing this? This is bizarre. You know, you don't hear of anyone else doing this. right? And then I realized it was more than that. Like I would um, kind of flick my fingers, like the right and then the left and then the right. Um, I would count um, in my head, you know, what, if a commercial was on, I would count different things. Um, you know, if someone was selling a product and maybe they mentioned the name of the product, I would kind of count how many times they were saying it. Um, and it, I just caught myself doing all these bizarre things I never really heard anyone talk about. So um, it wasn't something that I readily threw out to my parents or anyone else around me, like, hey, I'm doing all these weird things, you know, because what are they going to say? And I was really young at that point, too. So it was like, maybe this will go away if I just um, let it be. And it didn't. It just got worse from there. It got to the point where um, 
I would read something like a billboard, for example, and I was instantly putting in alphabetical order. So, um, you know, Gabby, reading your shirt says uh, High Point University. So university, I see it as E-I-N-R-S-T-U-V-Y. So I don't, I know what it says, but I see it in alphabetical order. And I caught myself doing that to like books and paragraphs and like, it was just bizarre to me. And I was like, okay, no one else does this. So I brought it up to my mom at one point um, and my grandma as well. And they both were like, hey, maybe it's a form of um, OCD. And I was like, okay. So I never did anything with it. And it continued to kind of manifest, um, you know, fast forward a few years. I don't think I knew it at the time, but I was really sensitive and really um, overwhelmed emotionally and fatigued and drained and started having symptoms of like food sensitivities. So I was getting eczema and psoriasis and, you know, GI irritation. And, um, my anxiety was way worse, you know, at this point. Um, and again, it wasn't like a diagnosed thing at this point. And it got to the point where I had no outlet. I had no way to control these emotions that were going through my head. Um, I went through a lot of turmoil within my family as well at this point. I'm very close to them, but there were a lot of, um, things that just kind of were going on behind the scenes that I wasn't prepared to handle um, and that manifested and was um, uh, accentuated by, by the anxiety, right? So I kind of let it go and then it got to the point where I was taking it out on other people. So I was physically um, and verbally abusive towards my sister. I would throw like remotes at her and like I broke her door to her bedroom at one point because I was so upset at her one day. Um, and that's hard for me to share, but it is, it's part of this journey and it's important to share because I think a lot of people go through these things as well. And at that point, my mom kind of sat me down. I was like, Hey Gabby, I think you need to go see um, a psychologist. I think you have a chemical imbalance in your head. And I remember sitting there like, how do you know I have a chemical imbalance in my head? Like just by looking at me, you know, how do you know that is true? And I was like, no, I'm not going to go to a psychologist. So I, I refused it for a long time. My mom is a nurse and she always, um, was a proponent for not necessarily believing in medication because she was more of a holistic, she had a holistic approach, I guess, um, and believed in going down that route. And I was like, how are you going to tell me to go see a psychologist who is likely going to prescribe meds if you don't believe in that yourself? So there were a lot of reasons that I chose not to go see a psychologist. And at this point now I'm in my undergrad and, you know, I'm an adult or young adult, I suppose. Um, and I kind of took matters into my own hands. I was miserable. I realized I wasn't treating people the way I wanted to be. My relationships were suffering. I was like, something needs to change. Um, so I started searching for other outlets. I knew medications weren't going to cut it for me. Um, I gave into the psychology thing. I made an appointment. I actually ended up seeing like two or three and just never really clicked with anyone. Um, and to me, that's really important. And so I, I fell off the bandwagon with the psychology thing. And I ended up going to the gym. And that was like the one thing that allowed me to relieve stress in a healthy way. Um, it allowed me to feel better about myself. It allowed me to build relationships with other people. And it allowed me to put myself in a situation where I'm exposed to stress. Um, but at the same time, I'm learning how to overcome it. So it was a really healthy outlet for me. I started from nothing. I had no idea how to lift a single weight. Um, I just kind of watched other people. And the more that I went, the more comfortable I was with it. And truthfully, that was probably the best decision I've ever made because it completely turned my life around and really, really thankful for it. So that is 
for the most part, what led me down this passion of wanting to share that with other people, because I know there's an option out there for other people going through these things. Um, even if it's not some, you know, I looking back, none of my doctors ever said, Hey, why don't you go to the gym to manage this? Um, no one ever said, why don't you, um, take up weightlifting? Why don't you take a look at your diet? And, you know, as I was explaining earlier, that was a huge, it had a huge impact on my anxiety levels. So, um, I got really frustrated with the system and that's what I'm trying to do currently is turn it around and show people that there is something else out there for them. So, yeah. <laughs> Long story short, there's much more to it, but that's the brief summary version. And people can listen to your podcast and hear, you know, more details. I loved your story when you first set out the, I think it was your first episode, right? With your story? Yeah. Yep. Number one. That was a good one. People can listen to that for a longer version, but yeah. that was a fantastic explanation, you know, for those who are just listening um, <clears throat> to the shorter version. That's really incredible because so many people are going to benefit from hearing that because maybe they don't click with a psychologist. Or I guess the question also is, did you ever find one? Did you ever go and click with someone? I, it, it took me a while. So, so most of the psychologists I saw were back in Ohio. When I moved to California, um, again, this was after PT school, so I'd already gone through graduate school and everything. Uh, I was like, you know what? I'm to the point now where I need to try this again. And I felt a little more comfortable with it. So I did find one. Honestly, the timing was just poor because then, you know, a few months later I moved to Florida and um, at this point in my life, what I recommend to people and even myself is I fully believe in the capability and the potential of psychologists, but the absolute biggest thing is one, you have to be ready for that and two, find someone that you find someone you relate to, because if you can't talk to them, it's not going to be beneficial to you. And not everyone with anxiety needs a psychologist or depression or OCD. Um, if something else is working for you, there's no reason you need to see a psychologist, but it can surely, um, benefit in certain ways, like the cognitive behavioral training, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And for you, I mean, working out, we know, and I'm sure everyone listening, cause most of them are PT students. They're like, duh, working out helps, but it can be such a drastic change that you don't necessarily expect or don't appreciate until it happens. And you're like, wow. <laughs> yep. And sometimes it takes a while. You know, a lot of people go to the gym and they start for like a week or two and their biggest focus typically is like the physical change. And if they're not seeing that, then they tend to give up. Um, and I just encourage everyone, you know, even if you are a PT student and maybe you haven't found enjoyment in the gym or anything, um, I just encourage everyone to give it a little longer because it takes a while for the mental and emotional um, side of things sometimes to kick in. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, journeying from undergrad to PT school, how, um, how is PT school for you? And how are you able to, you know, manage the stress and anxiety that we all go through? And especially during stressful times like finals week or midterms <laughs> and um, just your experience with uh, school. Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And it's, I get that a lot. A lot of PT students reach out to me and they're like, hey, I'm going through finals. Um, what can I do? And it, a lot of it varies person to person because it depends on what you're going through, your own 
you know, situational circumstances, but the biggest thing is to set boundaries. So you, just because you're in PT school um, doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your well-being, your gym time, your time with friends and family. That's usually the first culprit is people are giving into those things and putting them aside. You may not be able to do them as frequently, um, but certainly don't cut them out of your life just because you're in PT school. Um, keep them as a priority, you know, even, even, ex or even, especially, I guess, not even, um, especially during like finals week, because that is when stress levels are at their highest. And that's when we need that outlet for that stress the most. Um, so find a way to make them a priority and sleep as well. Sleep is huge. You guys know that, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, Sarah knows. I've been on a whole sleep kick this whole semester. <laughs> and that's all I've been saying, talking about, because I'm in a class with, uh, it's a chronic pain class, and we talked about sleep, and there was one point, and I was just like, is everybody getting enough sleep? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sleep is important. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. And water too, you know, that's mm -hmm. another big one, is most of us aren't getting enough water. So it's you know, during finals week or whatever the case may be, make sure you're getting at least a gallon of water a day. Because um, if you're not, your thought processing, cognitive function, it all declines. So that's another good way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I lost my train of thought as I'm, <laughs> as I'm in finals week. About to be. <laughs> okay. Um, what did you find worked best for you throughout the most stressful time? Of school you said family you said friends like keeping those connections sleep and water but is there some kind of coping mechanism that you did maybe besides working out that people can do that works for you yeah so and again this is kind of personal to me but what I notice most is um, my usually my breathing rate is altered like in a high stress environment. So um, right before like a practical or right before um, an exam, you know, um, whether I'm at home or I'm in the situation in the moment, my breathing pattern changes. Sometimes I hold my breath and then I get lightheaded and feel like I'm going to pass out. Sometimes I am hyperventilating. Um, it just, it honestly depends on the situation, but I'll usually use like the six to four breathing. So I breathe in for six, or for a count of six rather through my nose, hold it for two seconds and then breathe out for a count of four. Um, and we know that kind of slows our heart rate and our breathing rate um, and regulates that so that the body is functioning again where it needs to be. Um, and then the biggest thing I always told myself is one, that I'm good enough because you truthfully to overcome anxiety or stress, it, it takes this belief that you're better than that um, and that you can do better and you are worthy and um, you have to truly tell yourself that and believe it. And so before every test, um, I just had this little powwow with myself, like, you can do this, you are worth it, um, you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. And to give yourself permission to do that, I think is everything. Um, to allow yourself to mess up and, you know, showing compassion towards yourself when that is the case versus, um, you know, usually I shut down and burst out in tears and things like that. And I've, I've been working on that because we're allowed as humans to make mistakes and it's an, ex it's an opportunity to learn versus being reprimanded. Um, so I just tried to put it into that perspective. Yeah. And that's so important too, because a lot of students that they have to be perfect at everything, get, you know, all, all A's or pass all of your classes, which yes, you do need to pass, but like, you know, 
really like making sure that you're getting those really high grades and then not messing up on anything when it comes to like practicing um, for practicals or anything, but you have to allow yourself to make mistakes and that's okay. Um, but yeah, like you said, telling yourself that you're worth it and you're going to pass the exam or practical is it's really going to help your mindset. Absolutely. And honestly, if you make it through PT school and don't ever make a mistake, I would trust a PT that's messed up a lot more than someone who has never messed up. And I want everyone to think about that too, because that means one, that they have the humility of allowing themselves to make mistakes and they're okay with that. And two, um, we tend to hold on to, we retain information better when we've made a mistake and we learn from it versus memorizing it and spitting it right back out. So truthfully, it, it almost makes you a better PT to fail. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Like if you have a PT who is, is perfect, like those perfect PTs, you know, and it doesn't even have to be unique to physical therapy. Those people who feel like they need to be perfect all the time. Um, it's sometimes hard to trust those people because you're like, this is weird. Like they haven't made any mistakes. They haven't learned from anything. Yeah. Um, and those were a lot of good like power ups, like things that people can do to help push through the stress, through the anxiety, be okay with making mistakes. Um, what would be some things that were kind of like triggers and kind of, um, yeah, just triggered you throughout undergrad, grad school, just life in general? Yeah, so in PT school specifically, the my biggest trigger was seeing other people studying. For some reason, that always set me off because I felt, one, I felt guilty for not studying in the moment myself. You know, maybe I was just walking to class and saw someone else studying. Um, that was a really big trigger for me because it was like, what am I doing? I'm doing something wrong. They're studying and I'm not. Why is this the case? Um, or if they're in a group and I'm not in the group, it's like, am I missing out on something they're looking at? And, you know, that was just kind of me. I needed to get out of my own way and realize there's time periods I'm studying and they're off goofing off, right? Like we all, we all have our different schedules. And for me, I just had to realize that. And that was really helpful. Um, oh gosh, as far as like life in general, other triggers, that's a good question. <laughs> so when I take on too much, I'm really, I'm the yes person. So I say yes to everything. And I really need to learn how to set boundaries again and say no to different tasks and, um, projects and things like that. So when I start to take on too much and I feel like I'm being pulled in a hundred million directions, that usually is a really big trigger for me. Um, loud noises are also a trigger for me. So like social situations, um, I get uncomfortable because it's almost like there's too much going on and I'm overstimulated, um, by that. So. Yeah, no, those are, those are all triggers that a lot of people experience. And I noticed recently that, um, when I'm being like, when I'm watching someone study and, you know, I'm not studying recently, I've noticed that has been a trigger for me, especially when exams are coming up and everything. And also, um, yeah, I mean, when you're getting pulled in many directions, that can also be overwhelming, but saying yes has been a big, a big one. So everybody, you know, as a student, you want to be involved in everything, but there's sometimes where you have to set the boundaries and yeah. you have to say no. Um, and sometimes it's sacrificing like saying no to this one event and studying for another, um, you know, an extra an hour or two. So it's important to know your limits for sure. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's tough. It really is tough. And you always feel like you're going to disappoint someone. Um, but usually those people that we're afraid of disappointing are completely understanding. So um, it's, again, that's us getting out of our own way. I love that. Us getting out of our own way. <laughs> that's <laughs> honestly like my new life motto. <laughs> Get out of your own way. Honestly, it really is like we limit our, we don't even know it most of the time, but we limit our potential every single day with everything we do. So it's a mindset thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. You students out there, get out of your own way. <laughs> Stop looking at all your classmates. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. And it does sound kind of contradicting because people may have heard us on other episodes and we're always promoting being like, oh, don't be afraid to you know, do new things and say yes to things, which is true. But like you said, there's a fine balance. And we want students to feel like they're not limited, but we also want them to feel like um, they're capable, like they're not overwhelmed. You know, it's that, that little line you've got to tread and find. Well, and that, that's a good point too, because it's different for every person. Some people have a really high stress threshold and some people have a really low stress threshold. Stress threshold. Gosh, that's hard to say. Um, so honestly, it's person dependent, just like anything else, just like our treatments, right? Um, so if you know that you're stressed out really easily, then your ability to say yes is going to be a little more limited until you can train your body to handle more stress. So. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's so great. And how, how has it been implementing, um, you know, like strategies with decreasing anxiety and how have you been implementing that with your patients? Has it been through like deep breathing or what tools are you giving them? Yeah. So right now I was doing one-on-one -on -one, um, coaching and physical therapy and I want to get back into that. But right now my focus has honestly been in a group setting, which I, I believe is helping people more because anxiety is so isolating by itself anyway, that when you allow people to open up to other people going through similar situations. They form this bond that they can't really form with anyone else in their lives. So I almost find it more powerful. Um, so right now I'm doing something called a 21 day mindset reset where it's a three week program and I've included daily workouts um, that people can do like from home, you know, with no equipment. Um, I'm encouraging them to drink a gallon of water a day or more, um, encouraging them to eat a raw diet. So I'm not giving them like a diet plan. I'm not putting them on a diet, but just asking that they eat single ingredient foods, you know, more natural sources. Um, and then uh, five minutes of a mindfulness or meditation um, daily. And certainly I encourage more than that, but for a lot of people, five minutes is what they can afford to fit into their schedule and their busy life. So, um, and then each sorry, my phone is yelling at me. Um, each day we do a check-in and I just ask, you know, have you done these different things? And um, I've had really good results with that so far. I really enjoy that process. And I think people are responding to that um, really well because it's easy enough for them to implement. Um, and just these small changes are, are having profound effects on their life. So that's, that's what I'm focusing on right now. And I'm, I'm, it's a lot of fun. I love it. That sounds like a lot of fun. And it sounds like, you know, it is a little bit of a change for you. You know, you had the one-on-one -on -one and everything, but I think that's really important to note that anxiety can be really isolating. And I, I do believe that having the group setting is going to be amazing for these people and for your future clients. Is that 
like where do you see the future of your business in the next let's just say year one to three years okay cool yeah so in the next one to three years so what i'm doing now is taking everyone that's gone through this 21 day mindset reset and i'm filtering them into a bigger group so once they've completed the reset they get put into this monthly subscription type um, of a group where they will get exactly what they're getting before only now they're getting um, a personalized nutrition um, plan from a registered dietitian and I'm hoping to bring in a psychologist once monthly into the into the group um, to talk to them and then I'm also giving them more specific um, breathing techniques kind of like you guys mentioned earlier um, giving them more insight into mindfulness and meditation um, and going a little further with um, explaining the importance of exercise. So what happened in the 21 day mindset reset was very brief. Um, and it's just like an introduction, essentially. Um, beyond that, I'm hoping to, again, start taking one on one patients. So that being anxiety coaching, where again, I'm assessing their breathing patterns um, in panic attacks. That's another thing I treat. So learning about their um, their stressors and um, the root root causes, I guess, um, and working alongside a nutritionist for that as well. And then as far as physical therapy goes, what I'm doing at that is focusing solely on the physical side of anxiety. So um, a lot of people with anxiety are grinding their jaws, so they're getting TMD. Um, they have neck tension, they have headaches, you know, the tension headaches, they, um, again, the panic attacks, so things like that. So I'm focusing on those like four or five core, uh, physical components of anxiety and marketing myself towards that niche, um, specifically in the next, like, and I'm going to expand this a little bit, but in the next five years, I'm hoping to put out like an online course. Uh, so people, you know, maybe aren't wanting like the guided coaching, but just want a course to open up their um, mindset to a different approach to anxiety. So I'm hoping to put that out there someday in the future as well. I love that. That'll be really cool because you are gearing it. Like what's your ideal client? So it's women that are for the most part pretty sedentary and have tried either medication or psychology and it's not necessarily working for them. Yeah. And that could be a lot of students listening. A lot of female students who are like, yeah, um, that's perfect for them. And of course, it's not, you know, restricted to that. Of course, right. you're open to other people. But um, I think a lot, a lot of students listening can relate to the grinding your jaw, to the tension headaches, to the neck tension, everything. And that could be so valuable to them and just helping them get through a week because if you're sitting in class and your head is pounding and like you're just not getting anything out of it exactly I actually have I think it's two or three PT students in my 21 day reset right now yeah there you go yeah. that <laughs> That's is awesome. so cool it's actually really neat I enjoy working with them because they have this foundational knowledge and understanding um sometimes we just need that extra person to like push us in the right direction, even if we know what we're doing. So yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. And oh my gosh. Best, we'll call them students, but they're my best participants. So it's fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I think all PT students can benefit for, from something like you're doing and, and just having that all incorporated into one is so important. And so anybody listening if you're really interested in, you know, this is something that like you really want to dive deep into, 
then definitely reach out to Gabby because she is the best person to go for this. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, even like, I can say like, I would definitely benefit from, <laughs> from your, um, from your 21 day challenge because sometimes we even like need to do that too and just do it for ourselves to go through it. And so we can tell someone else like, Hey, this was, this really helped me. And I think it can help you too. That's what those, the two women or the two, um, yeah, the two women that are in my group have said, they're like, I, I feel like I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. So I want this reset to kind of get me back into that lifestyle. And, um, it's just, again, it's a good reset back into this foundational lifestyle that I want to, um, share with others. So yeah, it is, it's a cool thing. I love it. We talked about a lot in half an hour already. My goodness, I'm running out of questions for you. <laughs> That's okay. I could talk all day, so yeah. Let me think for a second. Um, <clears throat> I guess one one question that we get a lot um, would also be, people want to hear, like, when is the moment that you really struggled in PT school or, or outside of PT school, and, like, what helped you get through it? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. So for me, and again, I had a really supportive school. They always told us, essentially, you're not going to drop out of this program. Like, we don't let anyone go. Um, we had people that really just weren't doing well because of family things, and it was a Catholic school. So they were just really supportive and um, there for us no matter what. Now, that doesn't mean, like, if we just stopped coming to class, they were going to let us, you know, pass with flying colors. That wasn't the case for sure. Um, at least I hope not. But they <laughs> they were just very supportive. So that gave me a lot of comfort. Um, and that was honestly one of the biggest deciding factors in choosing a PT program, um, was finding a school that I not only felt connected to, but that I knew would support me no matter what, because I do have this anxiety and um, I'm bringing something a little more in depth than maybe most students. Um, the biggest thing that I, that I struggled with in PT school was probably my second I think it was second year. I, my, I was dating this guy for three years and he called things off. And to me, that was just really traumatic. And that was probably my lowest point. Like there was a few weeks where I stopped going to class and wasn't showing up. And it wasn't necessarily because I was like embarrassed or, um, afraid or couldn't study. It was just because I, I, I was numb. Like I couldn't get through the day um, enough to like, I couldn't get out of bed. I just wanted to be around family. And, um, thankfully my, you know, my program was pretty understanding. I had really, um, close friends in PT school, so they were really supportive. Um, and I was able to kind of get back up onto my feet, but that was a really hard thing for me to go through on top of, um, PT school and even clinicals. So it's a, it's a tough situation. Yeah. And family got you through that. And was there something else you did in addition that really helped you in those moments where you're like, I just don't want to get out of bed. Like, just can't, just can't do it today. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, most days it was like either, or I was either going to get out of bed or I wasn't, um, on days where it was just kind of a toss up. It was one of those things. Like I knew I could give in and, let it get the best of me or I knew that I could continue putting one foot in front of the other and you know 
I knew at that point, most people in my class knew the situation, maybe not from me telling them directly, but from hearing it through other people. And it was just one of those things I hope they knew and they were understanding and I would go to class no matter what. And, you know, I probably had like bags under my eyes and things like that, but um, that's okay. I wasn't there to like show off. I was there to learn and um, keep going. And we all go through things like this. We all go have our struggles and we all experience um, turbulence in life. So I think it's important that no matter what you keep going and um, the second you give in is the second that you allow it to be stronger than you. So it was just, it was a mindset thing. Yeah, it definitely is. And I feel like every student goes through something in their life outside of school that puts them off track and you fall behind you feel like you're not going to catch up and, and thank God, like find supportive faculty because that will be the, uh, that will be a game changer because then you know that they're with you and they understand what you're going through and they're going to do everything in their power to, you know, get you to where you need to be. But that's also putting work on your end to a point where you're ready and it may take some time, but know that it happens and you just have to, you know, deal with the situation and then, um, and then move on. So. That's a good point too, because when these things are going on, we're so hesitant to ask for help or to allow us, um, allow ourselves to put it out there. But truth be told, these faculty, most of them have been around a while, you know, they've seen it all. Nothing is going to surprise them. Nothing is going to, um, irritate them, intimidate them. If their heart and their passion is truly in educating and um, helping students, then their heart is in it and they're there to support you. So, but they can't do that if they don't know something's going on. So all it takes is you um, meeting with them or reaching out to them, however they allow you to do that. And just saying, Hey, like this is going on. Um, even if you don't need anything from them, just wanted to let you know, or, you know, something along those lines. So, um, it doesn't come across as an excuse at that point, if you're taking the initiative to bring it up beforehand, once it becomes a problem and you know, your grades start slipping and, um, you're not showing up to class and then you bring it to their attention. Usually at that point, it almost comes off as an excuse. It's not too late to salvage it. It doesn't mean don't bring it up. Um, but if you can let them know ahead of time or right kind of at the beginning, then maybe that will, um, kind of bring you closer and allow them a better understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Students be proactive in your education, like be proactive in life, but also be proactive with letting people know things ahead of time and not waiting until it's too late. And you're like, well, I guess I barely passed that one. <laughs> like it can come really close, you know, you don't want that. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. There were many yeah. times that I like, and looking back, I probably should have been more proactive in certain situations. And, you know, we, we all have to learn from our mistakes in that way. But there were many times that I was at the bottom of my class and, I think we all kind of experienced that at some point, unless we're that A-plus student all the way around. Um, I know for me, I definitely was not. Um, I tended on the other side of that spectrum. And here I am. I'm a PT and I'm doing well. So if that's you, you're going to be just fine and you're going to make it. Yeah, I think that's so important to hear. We all need to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So... Um, I'm trying to think. I think we, we hit on some really, yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. That was a lot of questions. One more question. 
And then our cliche last question. Um, <laughs> so this one more question for the PT students listening, or maybe even the physical therapists listening, what can they do to help their patients? Um, I know the PT scope of practice, obviously it varies per state, but what can they do, generally yeah. speaking? The biggest thing is that a lot, so we're afraid as a society to bring up mental health or mind health as I call it. Um, so the biggest thing that I would see, and I worked in the outpatient clinic for a while too, and even in the home health setting is we're too afraid to talk about it. You know, we ask our patients to fill out these forms and it asks about um, past medical history, you know, and they check mark depression or anxiety. Um, and then we move on. We don't bring it up necessarily in the evaluation. Um, we're not asking if they have the resources to cope. We're not going any further in depth. Um, we just kind of brush it off like, well, gee, I hope they're having, they're managing this in some form, you know, that's not my problem. Um, and that's really unfortunate because a lot of these people, all they're looking for is, that's almost like their signal is maybe they're look, waiting for that person to bring it up to them and be like, hey, I saw you checkmarked anxiety or depression. Um, I just want to make sure you have the resources and the support you need. And honestly, th that can be exactly what they need to hear. Um, if you're comfortable going further than that, you certainly can go a little more depth in, or more into depth with it. But um, even keeping it surface level like that, just letting the person know that, hey, I realize this is going on in your life and it's going to be a confounding factor in your treatment because we all know that um, stress, anxiety, depression play a role in our physical healing and our belief that we can get better. So if we ignore it, we're not allowed, we're not giving our patient the best shot at recovery. So it's, it's essential to address it, I think. And, and that's where it needs to start. Oh yeah, for sure. I 100% agree. And I've been learning so much more about stress, anxiety, um, and depression specifically in this semester, which I've talked about it in previous episodes, but, uh, I'm currently in a, a class focused around chronic pain uh, in addition to being in my program's pro bono clinic once a week. And we have a, a huge intake form. It usually takes about an hour to fill out. It's very extensive. But part of that is have you, um, we have stress and anxiety, or there's an anxiety um, portion and a depression portion. So it's out of six. And so a lot of our patients score high on both of them. And I've seen that so far with our patients. And you know, we have, we do address that in our, in the clinic and it's, it's worth noting because some people, I mean, you're the, you're the clinician that's been, that's going to spend the most time with them and you need to address that. Uh, and they feel like, oh, you actually saw that? Like, you know, I just checked it because I've either previously experienced it or are currently experiencing it. So really opening up that about that topic is important and your patients will be appreciative that you're talking about it um, with them. And it's, is it in your experience, um, has it been awkward to talk about it? Cause I know you said you do. No, it, I think now I'm getting more comfortable with it and we've, we've kind of gone through a lot of the information with the neuro side of it and how to talk to them in terms that, you know, they understand and kind of bring it up. Um, and it's been more of pain education as well. So I, I've enjoyed it and it's kind of opened my eyes to see, okay, you know, this is a real thing and it, it correlates with the pain that they're feeling and it, it all interrelates, but 
Yeah, I know. It's been so interesting to experience and kind of uh, give some pain education about it. Yeah. Sarah, what's been your experience? Have you, I don't know if you, where you guys are at with like clinicals and things. Have you seen much with anxiety or depression in your patients at all? In the patients we have, but like you said, the PTs kind of just see that they checked it and then they're like, oh, okay, that's nice. And like, don't say anything about it. Um, so I've kind of seen the opposite side. So Gabby is in a university where they're in a mu very much like a health desert. So a lot of these people, like Gabby, you are the first people that they've really seen in healthcare, you know, because they don't have that access to healthcare um, like a lot of other areas do. And so it's a little different. And maybe in the next clinical I have will be different. This one was really short. Um, so yeah, we didn't really talk about it, but patients clearly did have some like psych stuff going on. We had a couple people with like bipolar disorder. We had a lot with depression, um, but it was not brought up at all. And I think it could have been, you know, you can have that simple conversation. So for both of you, um, what would you say to somebody? Like you're, you're doing an eval or whatever. What do you say? How do you bring it up? What words do you use? Yeah, Gabby, I'll let you go first because you're doing it right now. <laughs> so what we usually do is once we're, you know, going through and we see that, we say, we kind of go into, you know, what their work is, what their occupation, what their family is. Um, a lot of them have a lot of stress. Like Sarah said, um, where I am, it's a health desert. And so a lot of these patients um, don't have access to to food. So figuring out like, where they're going to get their food and everything. So we just, we kind of ask like, what's going on in your life? Um, and, and we can kind of tell um, what they're, you know, what they're telling us. And then the pain that they're feeling, you're like, okay, like all these are stressors. And we do recommend, um, you know, breathing techniques, meditation. And a lot of those patients really find that beneficial. Uh, I know we've used the Calm app and that's really helped. And just, you know, little things that they can add in their day because uh, they're coming to us. It's we're the first people that they're seeing. And just knowing that we can talk to them about that and ways that they can um, decrease their stress and anxiety. They're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know I could do this. So that's really cool. I like that you're giving them the apps, too, because people love that. Um, yeah, I would have a really similar approach. I just try to keep it very non-judgmental by saying, um, you know, usually they put out like an intake form, you know, I would say something along the lines of, I see that you've checkmarked anxiety or depression. Um, how are you managing this? And just leave it kind of open-ended and they can either shut it down really quick and you can get a feel for, um, if they're willing to open to open up to you or not. Um, they'll either say I'm not, or, um, they'll say I'm seeing a psychologist, taking medications or, you know, exercising, whatever the case may be. And then you kind of get a feel for the conversation where it's headed. If, if you feel like they're open to you offering alternative solutions or suggestions, um, like the mindfulness meditation, um, things like that, then of course it's appropriate at that time. If maybe not in the evaluation, you know, they're kind of shutting down, then at least they know that there's that open line of communication and moving forward, maybe in the treatment, it gets brought up again. And then at that point, they may look at you and say, hey, do you have any recommendations? I know we talked about this on day one. What can I do to relieve these things? Um, so kind of leaving it in their hands at that point. 
I like that wording, keeping it very open-ended, being like, how are you managing this? And you're not, you're not like giving them any judgmental, I don't know, I guess certain words sound very demeaning when you start talking about mental health or mind health. And I think that's a really good way to keep it open for them and make them feel like they're able to come to you again later. Yeah, I I would recommend avoiding, you know, the first question being, what what medications are you taking? Or are you taking medications? Things like that, because that is, again, such a stigmatized thing. Um, And I've I've just kind of replaced that with, how are you managing it? And yeah, exactly what you were saying. That's that's an open-ended thing. So yeah. Yeah. And even now that I'm learning, even when it comes to their diagnosis as well, because a lot of the physicians will say, oh, you have degenerative disc disease. And then they get scared because they see it on a x-ray and they're like, my back, my spine is falling apart and they get stressed about that as well. And so it's also putting into terms of, you know, you, you can move, you're not going to break anything, nothing's going to slip out of place. And so also being mindful of the words that you're choosing when you're explaining about, um, you know, their back pain or their knee pain. Uh, I think that's been one of the biggest takeaways I've had so far. Because if you explain it in a way and they perceive it as, you know, oh, crap, I can't do this um, movement or I can't pick up my, um, my two-year-old because then my back's going to give out. So that's another thing to be uh, cognizant of as well. Yeah, keep it very non-threatening, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, it is huge because the second they stop believing something we want them to believe or they're believing something different than what we're trying to explain is the moment we begin losing. And um, we want to keep them on the winning side of things as long as possible. So yeah, absolutely. That's great. I appreciate you guys both sharing like what you guys talked about because I haven't had that yet. I haven't had that interaction. I haven't even done an eval. So it'll be good when it comes up. Now I'm prepared. Now people listening know like how you guys do it. Um, And our last question that we usually ask people uh what advice i know we gave it you already gave a ton of advice but what advice would you give to a current pt student oh good question honestly my biggest piece of advice is just to truly believe that you're going to make it um and see the big picture you know the sooner you can start picturing yourself you know working as a pt or um in this situation you wish to be in in the future um, the more likely, so we start to, be, we start to become and live out what we believe, right? It's that self manifestation. Um, so the second you can start picturing yourself in the position you want to be in, in the future, the more likely you are to carry that lifestyle out. So just start seeing where, you know, have goals, have a vision of your future self and your, um, career as a physical therapist. And I have no doubt that you'll make it. Um, it's just a matter, it's enjoy the journey, right? So um, we let PT school be this threatening, stressful environment, but truth be told, it's it's actually a really exciting thing. Like just picture it as this journey to get to that end goal um, and enjoy every second of it, the highs and the lows. Yeah, and you will go through the highs and the lows. So yeah, <laughs> take that take that into consideration and enjoy the journey because sometimes you, you're, you're not getting into that perspective and it might seem more of a uh something that you have to do and you have to get through but yeah 
I mean, we all, we all need that just to like check ourselves and say, okay, enjoy the journey. And it's going to be stressful. It's going to be a roller coaster. (laughs) You're going to go through a lot, but I love what you just said. Great. What's, I have a question for you girls. What would be your biggest piece of advice as current PT students? Oh man, you're the first person to flip that around on it. I think my biggest piece of advice is very similar to yours. And I know it's super cliche to tell people, but like truly believe that you are enough um, as you are, but that doesn't mean you will never change. Like you're going to change throughout PT school and you should change, but every step of the way, just truly believing that you are enough and that, like you said, you're going to make it whether you know things happen in PT school and if for some reason god forbid you don't make it because it does happen um you still have the rest of your life i I just want people to feel confident in themselves and not just as PT students as their only identity absolutely yeah i love that i love how what you just said sarah like PT school is not your only identity and there you are so many other things. But yeah, I would say my biggest thing is mindset, um, making sure that you have the right mindset because I mean, that comes, that comes with, you know, studying that comes with, you know, being confident in yourself and in your skills, but having that and, you know, having um, positive influences around you in school, um, out of school, that's, that would be one of my biggest pieces of advice because that's going to help you not um, spiral into burnout. And that's a common thing in our profession right now and as graduate students. Um, So I would say that would be the big thing. And also we all go through imposter syndrome at some point and just know that it's, that is not your identity either. Like you, you have to, know that you are capable and you're here for a reason uh just like sarah said because you are enough absolutely people are coming to us seeking help and all you have to be is one step ahead of them and just by being day one in pt school you have already achieved that so definitely yep Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.